Thank you for joining us on Honest Conversations in Black and White. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm here with Scott Annual. We're excited about our guest today. Uh, he is the author uh, of the book, The War on Words. Uh, Ten words every Christian should know, right? To fight for. To fight for. Thank you for that. Not just know. Not just know, but fight for. for. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's important, yeah, right. especially given the nature of, of our of our culture, which I know now that every time I say the word culture, uh, I'm probably abusing it based upon what I read in the book. So yeah. uh, we'll need to talk particularly about that. Please welcome our guest uh, for our time together, David DeBrain. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Now, I I, I kind of did a lead up a little bit of, you know, kind of your author, you're with us, but I, I really didn't lay out kind of your your, your CV, you know, and, and let everyone know exactly who you were. Why don't you just take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about kind of who you are, your background, uh, where you are in the world so that people kind of know that and have a framework for you. Yeah. And why you have that strange accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be happy to do that, Scott, and I can correct yours as I do so. Uh, yeah, I I'm, I was born and raised in Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, I've lived here most of my life. I'm privileged to be married to Erin, who's a, an American from Minnesota, and we have three wonderful children, Jack, Chris, and Caitlin. Uh, I've been in ministry, pastoring the same church for 20 years, from 2003 um, I did some of my studies in the U.S., I'm in South Africa, and yeah, it's really been um, just a 20-year journey of um, the privilege of preaching God's Word, sharing. Uh, I've been thankful to be associated with Scott for many of those years. We blogged together for many years on uh, religious affections, ministries, and now together more on uh, on G3. So, yeah, I'm excited to continue to minister together with Scott and you guys at G3. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. And, man, it's been an absolute joy. I've gotten to know you just off and on through a handful of blog articles and then and then diving in even more deeply uh, into this book as I kind of prepared for our conversation today. I'm thinking, man, how did I miss this guy? Like, mm -hmm. how in the world did I? This is a gem, and, and the work that you're producing is absolutely wonderful. And I thought, how am I missing it? And so uh, now... Now what that's done has caused me, having read the book, now to go back through and, and, and look for other topics, subjects that you've written on uh, that I could be incredibly informed on. I really found, and again, I won't I won't uh, take up too much time before I toss to Scott, I really found your work incredibly helpful, enlightening, educational. And uh, as I went through each kind of word that you unpacked in this book and, and thought through how words are being used culturally, we, we, we have an environment where the deconstruction of words is kind of the, uh, the, the, the way that things work today. We want to deconstruct words like, you know, woman or man, uh, deconstruct words like marriage, uh, you know, deconstruct, you know, all kinds of different ideas around uh, racism and the like. And so uh, what your book did for me was it was an incredible help in identifying the breakdowns and and then unpacking the the root definitions, uh, but even going further to to anchor them and and you know kind of a biblical worldview. So all of that was incredibly helpful. Um, I know Scott has a little bit more of a history with you, uh, and so I'll, I'll toss to him and kind of let him unpack his ideas around the book and any other topics that we want yeah, to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, David, really uh, thankful for this book. Of course, this book started as a series of blog articles years ago uh, on religious affections. And, uh, we, you know, I, I've often said, and I've heard many people say, you know, you have a gift for 
articulating things in a both clear, uh, succinct, and winsome way, um, which is the irony about this book about words, right, <laughs> where we have uh, the issue of language uh, being under attack. And I want to I want to ask you here in a moment, kind of wh- what started you on thinking that you needed to write on this topic. But just as a segue, you know, I'm reminded of Paul's words in in Second Corinthians ten, where he says that our war is not a fleshly war; it's a war of ideas, right? Arguments and lofty ideas raised against Christ. And so it's so critically important because it is a it is a war of ideas that we that we have the proper weapons, and that includes proper understanding of the nature of words and proper understanding of, of, of the definition of things. And so that's why I think that this book is so necessary and important, and the particular words that you, that you tackle, what you call 10 mangled words, uh, it, it are so important as well. So why don't, why don't you start out just, you know, was there something particular <clears throat> that, you know, that, that struck you and that then that led you to start that blog series? What was it that really spurred you to begin to address these 10 mangled words? Yeah, I think it's something that most believers have encountered, which is the way that words are thrown around so as to win an argument. Um, I think every Christian has at some point been accused of being intolerant or uh, full of hate or bigoted. And once you start to hear those words, you ask the question, well, what does tolerant mean? When am I tolerant? When is intolerance occurring? And that got me thinking that Whoever controls the meaning of words really controls, as we say, the coin of the realm. You know, the coin of the realm is the legal money. It's the currency uh, that's tendered. And whoever controls the meaning of words really gets to control the currency of meaning. Uh, Those people are getting to say, this is what this means. Um, You know, you even see it, for example, um, some of the events that took place in the last few days in Israel. You see how journalists uh, use words very differently. Some are referring to those from Hamas as terrorists. Others keep using the word militants. Uh, But those are two very different words with very different connotations and denotations. And so... Uh, Not only journalists, but the average man picks up words and begins to use them in certain ways. And with those meanings, it shapes the entire argument. It shapes the entire discussion. And my concern is that Christians are going along with words the way unbelievers are defining them. Uh, So we're allowing liberal agendas and left-wing journalists and secular academia, we're letting them define culture, race, um, tolerance, authority, freedom. And the way they use those words then comes into our parlance. And unless we've said, wait a minute, what does God say about this? Uh, How does the word itself define these concepts even if uh, we, we don't have the exact term in scripture. And if we don't get the biblical meaning and retain the biblical meaning, we've really surrendered the argument. We've allowed the world to use their symbols uh, before we've even gotten into the argument. So I wanted to call Christians to think very carefully about what these ideas really do mean 
And before we even proceed in a discussion with others, like a good philosopher, insist upon definitions. What is the definition uh, before we even continue to discuss how we're going to use that definition? Yeah. One of the things that I was really struck by as I read through your book was that um, what we're talking about is not simply uh, and again, it begins it begins kind of in the public sphere. Right. It begins with kind of public theology. It begins with how are we using words as believers? Uh, how are we defining them? Are we using terminology that the, that the world is using? But but ultimately, as, as I kind of began reading uh, about the, the particular word culture, um, how we define words really has an impact on Christian culture. Uh, and if we're not careful, uh, as we witness Christian culture transform with words that are ill-defined or defined in opposition to what Scripture says, how we can find ourselves very quickly in a place of, 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 of sinful pre- preference uh, in ways that we should not. And so kind of speak to us a little bit about, about the, the word culture and, and why that word in particular is so significant, why Christians need to begin thinking about how that word is used, why we use it, what it it means I, I I was telling Scott I raced after after I, I read through that particular uh, section of scripture or <laughs> that particular text I'm sorry you've written scripture now, I've written David. scripture now yeah <laughs> well hey that's a whole not, that's a whole other conversation about cessationism but we won't jump into that for now um, as I as I read through through that particular word. I was really struck by as a as an African American, really as a Black American, uh, I was really struck by how I use the term Black culture, um, and what and what I mean by that when I say that. Right, uh, I, th- I think sometimes that word is ill defined, mm. uh, and if we're not careful, then we're we're beginning to to add race and ethnicity to something that really is meant to be how people respond in specific ways or how they act in a particular environment. Uh, how, how does that, how, how can we look at co- the word culture and ensure that we're being protective of both issues around ethnicity as well as Christian culture? Kind of, kind of talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's so important. Uh, when we throw that word culture around flippantly or without a lot of thought, we run into a lot of problems, including a lot of ecclesiastical and even pastoral problems. Uh, For example, here in South Africa, you'll sometimes hear believers say, well, that's just your culture, or uh, the way you do that in church, that's just your culture. Your culture likes that kind of worship. Now, usually I know what they mean is ethnicity, as you said. They mean something like, well, that's the musical preferences that grew up around your ethnicity. But it's not a small thing that we're throwing around the word culture, because culture is far more precisely defined as the outward expression of our religion. Uh, You know, it's closely related to the Latin word cultus, which means religion, and to the verb cultivate. So so I like to think of it as culture is that which cultivates our cultus. It it cultivates and grows and expresses our religion, our faith, our deepest held values and beliefs. Really, if you want to know what is a person's worldview, what is the heart of his belief about reality, you're going to see that fleshed out in his culture. Uh, Of course, one man can't be a culture, but as that happens collectively, we now see the deep worldview, the deep loves of a people group in their art, in their economics, in their politics, indeed, in their language. Mm 
that is a culture. It is, as T.S. Eliot put it, the incarnation of a religion. It's the expression of deeply held beliefs and loves. Now, that's something related to, but not identical with, uh, my ethnicity. Uh, my ethnicity may include some of those social customs. It may include musical preferences. It may include clothing and various other ways that we organize, but they are distinct. And if we cannot criticize culture, then we're in the position of never being able to criticize anyone's behavior. Uh, because the moment you do that, someone can just raise the shield and say, no, that's my culture. Don't touch my culture. But I like to say in, in the local church that I pastor, I like to say we have many ethnicities, but we have one culture. Yeah. Our culture is the culture of loving Christ. Mm -hmm. That's our culture. We're monoculture. Our culture is the expression of the biblical faith. And we have many different ethnicities in my church. It's beautiful to see every Sunday, all sorts of colors, all sorts of languages. It's a wonderful thing. And, and we rejoice in that. But we don't talk about being multicultural in our church because we're not multi-religious. Uh, we're not multi-faith. We have one faith and we're expressing that faith in our hymnody and in our preaching and in our love for one another and in our uh, church covenant that we've bonded around. All of these things are our church culture. And we hope that to be a small specimen of Christian culture, uh, one instance of a culture that expresses the biblical faith. Yeah, uh, I think this is a word worth fighting for. It's a really important word. Absolutely, I think that it, it's so it's so critically important. And you you address sort of one one central reason why that we see it, it abused, and that is you know if you equate ethnicity and culture, mm -hmm. then what you find is people who say, well, we can't criticize culture then because that would be racist and that's definitely a problem what strikes me is that in more recent debates and discussion particularly over issues uh, surrounding christian nationalism you have the same error but the reverse problem yeah. there is this equating of culture and ethnicity interestingly though they they will say uh we, we ought to criticize culture. Certain cultures are better than others, sure. and we would agree with that. Right. But because they equate culture and ethnicity, right. that leads then to the sort of ethnocentrism and, and perhaps even kinism that is a problem. So it's almost the reverse problem, right. same mm -hmm. root problem. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and again, not all, not all, not all Christian right. nationalists hold to that, but right. there are some that do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I want to I hear you speak to, because in your book you talked about kind of the black nationalist culture. Uh, that that you experienced there in in Africa, kind of black nationalism, and it speaks to kind of what you yeah. what you discussed there, and how the idea is well, religion is is a is a this is a white man's religion, right? Christianity is a white man's religion. Mm -hmm. how, how how do you respond when you hear uh, that kind of a that kind of a challenge? Yeah, well, one of the first things uh, I point out is that Christianity came to Africa before it went to Europe. You know, the, the word of God spread south before it went west, just as a, as a historical fact. Uh, beyond that, we're, what we want to point out is that wherever the gospel has gone, it's transformed the people groups that it, it uh, entered. It, like salt, it, uh, it salted the whole group. It, it was that yeast that went into the whole lump. 
And so I will sometimes point out to black believers that the gospel took a good thousand years to really shape my ancestors from being pagans dancing around obelisks in the middle of Europe uh, into being the kind of people that produced Bach and cathedrals. Mm -hmm. uh, the gospel took a long time and it eventually produced that. But it wasn't something natural or endemic to the Caucasian race that the gospel should should somehow be there. Uh, it's just a fact of nature that God in his grace allowed the word of God to spread in Europe. And when the missions movement of the 18th, 19th century really took off in the providence of God, it was coming from European nations. They took the gospel and brought it to Africa and other nations. And because at that time, Christianity was most dominant in uh, in the Western Hemisphere and in, in Europe. So that's just the providence of God. Um, as it turns out, Christianity is moving south and east, and we're seeing missionaries go from Africa back to Europe. We're seeing missionaries from Asia now moving on. Does that make Christianity a yellow man's religion? Does that make Christianity now a black man's religion? This is is just confusing the whole point. Yeah. Uh, which is that wherever Christianity goes, it is supposed to change that culture That's from good. the inside out. Uh, and when it does that, we should expect emissaries, representatives to go out, take Christian culture with them to non-Christian people. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they bring in Christian culture. And yes, they're bringing a version of Christian culture that grew up in their nations. It's going to have aspects that hopefully are not syncretistic, that are just unique to that ethnicity. That doesn't make it evil. It just makes some of those things disposable. Christian cult cultures that now receive that gospel can decide whether some of those elements are merely American or merely European, or if they are very helpful uh, incarnations of Christianity that this culture can now adopt as it assumes and adopts Christianity as well. Yeah. So uh, it, it really is... Um, uh, a very racist remark, actually, mm. to say that Christianity is a white man's religion. Um, it dispenses with history. It dispenses with true anthropology. Um, it's it's really just a very vacuous remark. Yeah, yeah. So important. All right, so we've got through one word. we got nine to go. No, we're, <laughs> we're, we're clearly not going to get to all of them, but it, it really does. And just for our listeners and, and our viewers, let me just run through the 10 words. It, it really strikes me how interconnected so many of these yeah, words are, absolutely. too. Yeah. But David addresses authentic, authority, culture, emotion, equality, freedom, hate, relevance, taste, and tolerance. So many interconnected ideas. Probably the word in this list, you know, culture immediately jumped out at you sure, for obvious, sure. obvious reasons and all the work that you do yep. uh, in that area. Probably the word that, that, that so strikes me and that I... I try to correct so much is this word emotion. Mm. Uh, this is a word that is so thrown around in our day in so many ways and so many debates. Uh, just, just briefly address that word and, and what you do in that chapter to help to elucidate the meaning of that word. Yeah, well, we're trying to return to a biblical anthropology, and the idea of emotion is is actually a pretty recent category. It's a psychological category that more grew out of a, the secularizing enlightenment, where they try to collapse the idea of bodily feelings together with motives. 
And by combining those two into one word, emotion, they actually produced a word that is quite confusing. Um, as, as one person pointed out, to say I was emotional may mean anything. It may mean I had a mood. It may mean I felt bad. I didn't sleep well. I am angry. I'm sad. It can mean a, a multitude of things. However, if you say the word I was affected, immediately the response will be by what right mm. the, you see the na the nature of the word affections forces us to think about the object which is the biblical idea we're affected by beauty and by truth and we're inclined towards those things we make decisions we we take action we move towards that thing that moves us now we may or may not feel strongly about that um, we may feel actually the opposite. We may feel as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, we may feel a certain amount of hesitation, but ultimately we are affected by truth. And that's what Jesus was. His affections led him to complete submission to the Father, even though he had feelings, as we would say, that of great trepidation right. and of, uh, of hesitation. So what we're trying to do is, is show people that the idea of feelings is far more of a physical bodily concept that doesn't make it negative or evil. It just makes it a, a concept which we want to understand. This is related to your body, your health, your temperaments, your mood, your sleep. Uh, all kinds of things affect how you feel in your body. Uh, however, your affections are a spiritual matter. These are your desires that are affected by truth, goodness, and beauty. Uh, and thereby your affections can be shaped and moved even when your body is not cooperating. When we collapse those two ideas, we have a very indistinct word. Uh, and then we start to talk about, uh, should we have emotion in worship? Well, that's a really unhelpful way of talking about it. Yeah. Um, I want to say, should we have strong affections in worship? Obviously, we should be inclined as strongly as possible towards God and His truth. Um, will I always feel those things in the same way every Lord's Day? Probably not. And if I don't, nothing is necessarily wrong right. uh, if I'm not feeling it in my body precisely as my affections are inclined towards it. So making a distinction between spiritual desires and bodily feelings is at the heart of kind of splitting up this word emotion into some of the more biblical and older categories. Yeah, I, I love what you did with that particular chapter. Uh, you even mentioned how how uh, how when we begin to search for an effect, uh, how we lend ourselves to being addicted to an experience. Kind of speak to that just a little bit. Yeah, I think when uh, when people today are really drawn by the the sheer sensuality of emotion, mm -hmm. in many ways they become um, addicts of their own feelings, mm -hmm. and without knowing it, in pursuit of emotion, they really are feeling their feelings. They want to love their love. They want to enjoy their joy. Um, but the goal as believers is, is not to love our love or feel our feelings or reverence our reverence. Uh, the goal is to reverence God and love God and have joy in God. That means, once again, the gaze of the soul is directed towards revelation, to God revealing himself. 
The gaze is not inward at how am I responding right now? How intensely am I feeling this worship? Right. If we operate like that, we're going to inevitably approach sober worship, serious expository preaching, thoughtful explanations. We're going to approach it with distaste because in our immaturity, we may say, this is not working for me. I'm not feeling this. Uh, I, I'm not, it's not, it's not reaching me. And, and you'll find people say those very things, you know, that service didn't work for me. <laughs> and what they're saying is, I didn't feel this very ephemerally. I didn't feel this on the surface. It didn't kind of hit me with a huge dopamine hit uh, the moment the music began playing. Whereas the real thing we should be asking is, did I encounter God in his word? Mm. Um, Was his beauty gripping to me? Uh, Was the truth compelling? Um, Perhaps I'm having a bad day and my feelings are quite cold. Maybe I'm I'm really in a, a... Uh, otherwise mood. And in Christianity, as C.S. Lewis pointed out several times, you're able to even ignore those feelings Mm. in pursuit of high affections for God. That's good. And that's good news for us. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Good. You know, I'm thinking about this book, you know, hopefully somebody picks this up and personally comes to a, a better understanding of these words but then what next? Like, how would how would you counsel somebody who reads this? And I, I feel this frustration all the time, especially on on Twitter. You know, you you somebody reads this and comes to a better biblical understanding of of these terms and and recognizes the significance of the meaning of words. But now you're trying to have conversations with other people. You're trying to perhaps make arguments or convince people of certain ideas, but they don't already understand the same definitions what 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 do i do how do i i mean obviously we can say hey go pick up david's book uh but you know what how how do we how do we approach you know i just got a call earlier about a man concerned about his church's worship and he's trying to have conversations with other people in the church but they're talking past each other because they're not defining things in the same way so what what can we do what can someone do to try to move conversation forward in a helpful and biblical way when all of the people that he's talking to don't understand the the true biblical meaning of words like you address in the book. Yeah, I think this is where the book of Proverbs is probably really helpful for us. As as we work through Proverbs, we we learn that there's some conversations we should have and some conversations we shouldn't. Mm. Um, you know, when Solomon puts Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 right next to each other, answer not a fool according to his folly list, they'll be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly list to be wise in his own conceit. He's teaching us that there are times to pursue um, a discussion to the end and there are times to abandon it altogether. And so my counsel would be something like, how intent is your listener upon the truth? Uh, how much do they want to That's good. really get at the heart of meaning? Yeah. Um, because then in the context of godly relationships, good spiritual friendships, thoughtful conversations, we can gently push people to say, hey, you, you keep using that word. Um, let's talk about how we should define that because otherwise we may be talking past one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think those are fruitful discussions. Um, You know, when you're talking to somebody who really just has an ax to grind, you know, kind of the, the sort of the, the internet 
drive-by hit. Uh, those are not really, I think, good uses of our time. Uh, it's it's people who who are persuaded before the conversation has begun. And I think we need to discern how much impact can I have on this particular person? Um, what sort of circle of influence do I have with them? Probably the most complex is when you're dealing with somebody in, in leadership, because there you want to show a lot of deference, a lot of submission, a lot of kindness, um, understanding that usually you should present the symptom of the problem before you suggest the solution. Mm. And if you don't see any uh, great change, any helpful move, then you need to pray about being under different authorities in different places where perhaps there'd be more care uh, in worship or in just meaning. So uh, I think we really just have to try to weigh up who we're talking to, how much change we can expect, uh, and then what we're willing to live with, what would be a tolerable error versus an intolerable one. Yeah. David, this, this has been a great time with us getting a chance to talk with you about, about your book. Uh, I feel like what we should end up doing is probably having you back uh, each time on a word yeah. uh, and just <laughs> unpack a particular word and, and really do a deeper dive. I'm going to commend this book, uh, recommend this book to everyone. Uh, the War uh, on Words, 10 Words Every Christian Should Fight For uh, by David DeBrain. This is a fantastic book, uh, a, a lot of, uh, of your time and intention has gone into it, and I'm hopeful uh, that many more people. I know we, we we did pretty well selling this at the yeah. Book. We we sold this out at our recent uh, national conference, yeah. and that was really good news. Yeah. yeah, I just feel like we 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 want to do an even better job. This podcast will be helpful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, everywhere that that you can uh, be, let let people know about this. this is a great book, uh, a, a, a wonderful resource uh, for Christians to begin thinking through biblical definitions and, and a biblical framework. And let me just stress that. too: you've mentioned this already, but just to let folks know, um, and I mentioned this as well, you, you, you can see a title like this and see these words and think, oh man, I don't want to get into deep philosophical you know, discourse. David writes with such clarity and winsomeness. Uh, we, 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 have, we have a friend, I won't say her name to, to embarrass her on this podcast, but da- David, I don't know if I've ever, ever told you this, but she calls you David the Brain. <laughs> and uh, she, she she loves your writing and benefits from it. So this is a this is an easy read. It is a compelling read. Uh, you're, definitely you're, an economy of words. Economy of words, yeah. yes, and de- definitely dealing with some important deep topics, but in a way that anybody can pick up and really benefit from. So, David, thank you so much for writing this. Uh, we we really pray that this will be a help to to many many people. Yeah. Any any final well, words on you your guys. end? Let 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 people know where they can find you. I know where I can't find you, but you let people know where they where they can find you, where they locate you, that kind of thing. If you'll if you'll do that as we as we wrap up, that'd be great. Sure. I, I um, my church's website is uh, ncbc.co.za, uh, New Covenant Baptist Church. Um, I write at a blog called uh, churcheswithourchests.net. Um, and that is just where I do some of my scribblings. Uh, you'll see some of my writings on G3. And um, I present a radio program in South Africa uh, known as Bible Perspective. And so, again, you can see some of the, the writings there, bibleperspective.co.ca. Uh, there's some of the places. So, yeah. That's great. Um, but thank you guys for, for having me and uh, appreciate your words about the book. And I pray it will be really helpful to the body of Christ. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, David. We appreciate your time. Thank you.
That was a great conversation uh, with David DeBrain. I got we got to spell his name because yeah, I'm I'm thinking DeBrain like the brain, right. D E brain. Well, I remember the that. first the first time I met him, I had only seen his name in print. Gotcha. And I thought it was De Bruin, De yeah. Bru- De Bruin, or yeah. you know. So it's yeah, it's it's D E and then B R U Y N. Right. Uh, pronounced. The brain. Yeah. But there were so many other things that we could have talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even, I mean, we spent some time talking about culture. Uh, he, he opens up with, with uh, the word authenticity or mm-hmm. authentic, authentic. Yep. and, uh, and kind of unpacks that in a culture who just throws that term around what that really means yep. and talks about how, how narcissistic we actually are and all the things that we think about that, uh, that we claim to be authentic really aren't what the word actually means. Right. And so just right. a great, great mm-hmm. book. You, you guys have been friends for some time and you've enjoyed uh, his writing. But again, I, I, I love this book. Mm-hmm. I love uh, what, what we did with it and just hope that it gets into the hands of more yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. And we should just mention in closing, we've, we have another book by David in G3 Press. It was actually the third book we published, mm-hmm. uh, The Conservative Church, that is all, also a fantastic book. We've used it in, in our men's leadership group here at our church and uh, I've used it in classes. It's a wonderful book on the church. Yeah. And then this one is just so important and much more even broad than just just that one as well. Church, so yeah. hope hope many people get a copy and benefit from it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Honest Conversations in Black and White. We'll, we'll, uh, we look forward to having you join us next time.